all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard. It's what you make of it. But what if only struggle surrounds you? What can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair. Please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through. Just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see. You are not alone. You have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know. But if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up because you got this. If you quit, think of all the opportunities that you could miss. We are all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard, it's what you make of it, but what if only struggle surrounds you, what can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair, please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through, just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see, you are not alone, you have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know, but if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up, because you got this. Think of all the opportunities that you could miss. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Authentic Points of View. My name is Danielle Booer, and I'm your host, as always. Woohoo! Today's guest is awesome. And she knows a lot about a lot. Okay. So that's so exciting. I am so glad that you're here, Tanya Diamond. Can you just tell us a little teeny bit about yourself and then we'll dive into everything? Wow. Okay. That's the that's the thing. Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. <laughs> you're welcome. A little teeny thing about myself. Um, what would I say? I uh I'm definitely somebody who is um controversial in the sense that I kind of say it how it is. That's because I'm autistic, which means that my filters are a little bit different than other people's. So there's that. Uh, I'm also uh, highly gifted. So I'm a polymath, which means that I have extensive mastery in lots of different subjects. And uh, depending on what I'm doing, I'll either be working with people in trauma recovery or helping people become TEDx speakers. I'm on the way to the TEDx stage in 13 days, by the way. Woohoo! So yeah, so lots and lots of different things. Plus I'm an animal behaviorist, da da da, author, blah, blah, blah. You know, we could just go on, but that's close. That's quick enough, right? <laughs> that was so quick. Yeah, no. Wow. Okay. Where do you even begin when somebody does all this? <laughs> I did a lot of things. Wow. Okay. So I will start with something that's near and dear to my heart because my son is on the spectrum. So um, they used to call it Asperger's. They don't call it that anymore. And 
That's so awesome. So, and this is not to be like, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. So this is not to be like judgmental or whatever. And I know a lot of autistic, I was going to say kids, you're not a kid, you're an adult, but people um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that they are gifted in a lot of subjects and they might struggle in something. Is that not the case for you? Are you just like great at everything? Cause that's so awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah. So first of all, you can just be uncensored with me. Everything's cool. Uh, so I, um, I, am I gifted in everything? No. Uh, and in fact, when I was a kid, I really, really struggled because I'm 61 years old. So back then we weren't really talking wow. about, you so don't look, look about this. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> you look thank great. You. So, um, I didn't see things the way the world, the way most people saw them. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be touched, held. My mom, of course, yeah. wanted to cuddle a baby. I'm like, Wah! you know, just leave me alone. Sensory issues all across the board. I learned, I taught myself to read, like, I think I was three. Wow. But when I went to school, they pulled apart all the letters and I couldn't figure out what they were trying to do with that. Like I snapshot read. Mm. So when you pull apart all the letters, tried to teach me the alphabet, they thought I was developmentally delayed. They were like, this, this kid doesn't know what's happening. And so school was a struggle for me because I was self-teaching myself. I was reading Encyclopedia Britannica at home at four and five years old. Wow. And I go to school and I couldn't figure out what they wanted me to do. <laughs> so yeah. I grew up all over the world. So Africa, Saudi Arabia, South America, we moved every six months to a year. So that added to the compounding confusion because no teacher had me long enough no to kind of see me sitting at recess, you know, reading War and Peace. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a scene. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that a teacher was like, uh, she tried to give me a test. And I'm so literal, you know, Jack mm -hmm. and Jill were walking down the street. Jack went a block over. Right. And they both walked two more blocks. How many blocks did Jack and Jill? And I'm like, was the street over the same length when he went across the street? As the <laughs> I start making this like be this huge, yeah. complex issue. So, um, it, yeah, a teacher finally was talking to me one day and she was asking me questions and she was like, wow, okay, uh, have you ever been tested? It was in Africa. Tested for what? Yeah, <laughs> lots of things, but not that. <laughs> so she tried to test me written, written and saw the struggle. So she gave me some oral questions and moved me up to grades. So I was 12 years old in ninth grade, graduated from high school at 16. Woohoo, so that's awesome. Yeah, and then social struggles. I'm very direct. And I don't like a lot of people. And so that's a, for me to learn how to be social, how to show up, how, uh, what all the rules, I'm a pattern person. So I get socially awkward in places that I don't understand the patterns, meaning mm -hmm. the rules. Mm -hmm. Everybody has them, but not everybody talks about them. And so I can get super socially awkward uh, that way. Yeah. So I think my son has maybe kind of grown out of that, but when he was little, he took everything personally and mm -hmm. he would literally like it was one extreme or the other. So it was like, I'm really, really excited about this or, oh, this is the most horrible thing in the world. So he would give like the bus driver, if he didn't like the bus driver, he's going to give him hell. Uh, if, but if he did, he would be the most loyal, kindest, like kid trying to get the other kids in line and all this stuff. And but he would get in fights because he said like one time his supposed best friend told a secret to his to another guy, but not him. And that 
like yeah struck a chord he's like how dare you how can you do that to me and so I was like that doesn't mean you hit someone but in his mind it was like the ultimate betrayal like he was so upset and he did struggle with the communication things and like it's so it's so I don't even know like being his parent was so (laughs) challenging but so rewarding because it was fun but it was crazy like it was like literally like I how to discipline him changed every day like something would affect him and he would do it the one day and then the next nope he didn't like it didn't affect him at all but he he didn't like to be touched he doesn't like loud noises but he would say I love you all the time and that was really sweet like he showed his love with me not with other people he was very socially awkward but until he got older and started getting in a lot of trouble but when he was little little he didn't really like hugs but he still would give me love in in different ways and um yeah so I think but he his feelings get hurt so bad because he doesn't understand that people don't mean stuff in a bad way sometimes and he he would say like his sister hated him so they're 10 years apart in nine days and uh so he would say like she's crying because she hates me and like there's a lot of over response hyper responsibility is is a real thing my daughter is autistic as well so um learning uh you know that was an interesting experience for me to go okay i see what my parents because my parents didn't know i mean i got diagnosed uh in my 20s something like that wow yeah. So nobody really knew. And uh, by that point, I'd already figured out. So one of my superpowers and my daughter's superpowers is looking at what isn't working and figuring out how to like she's she was dysle- she's dyslexic. Mm-hmm. I think he is. He actually figured out how to not be. Wow. Yeah. And so both of us are. Awesome. I'm a life strategist by trade. That's my main thing I call myself. And so I can look at patterns and problems and make connections that other people can't and figure out a way through it. So with the level of the spectrum that I'm on, I'm doing remarkably because I've spent most of my life figuring out if this is what the norm is or I'm supposed to do, how do I recreate that experience? So uh, that's, and I just quote unquote came out, uh, not because I've been hiding, but about uh, 10 months ago, I decided to put it on my bio and everywhere else because I realized I was actually doing a disservice. Like I said, I wasn't hiding it. It just didn't occur to me. And then I realized I'm doing a disservice because, you know, I have people say when I show up on their show, like, well, you don't look autistic. Um, I've also heard things like, I know it's, it's, (laughs) I know. And then I've heard like the, uh, the other day, somebody said to me, um, well, wow, you've been really successful. I made my first million at 24. I'm, I'm, you know, but that's wonderful. But my favorite one is this one. Don't you have to disclose that to your clients? So what? There's clearly a lot of misconception, misunderstanding. And then of course, there's all those people that are saying things like when they hear I'm autistic, they go, oh, Oh yeah. 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 No, no, no. Like, like I have, pe- no, I know people. In fact, somebody thinks my dog got, and they get really awkward. They don't know what to say. So they could mm-hmm. do that inclusion. Like they might be autistic. Their dog's autistic. Somebody. <laughs> so, <laughs> my dog. <laughs> it, yeah. It's, so they're trying to oh, like Lord. normalize it yeah. and they don't know what 
to say and they're awkward and weird. And I get it because I was awkward. I kind of still am. But so there's I, I felt like it was time to really just be front and center with it and to help the world understand um, that uh, spectrum doesn't mean spectrum. There's seven seven boxes on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. To be autistic, you actually have to have something in each box. So the spectrum doesn't mean kind of sort of I'm a little bit autistic or I'm whatever. It literally means in the sensory, in these seven boxes, you have something in each one and it may not mm-hmm. be the same, you know, yeah, as- nobody's not two people are the same, even siblings. Um, my friend used to babysit this lady's kids and she had two out of three of the kids were autistic, nonverbal. Mm-hmm. two were nonverbal but they both were different though yeah. they they both like still responded to things differently and I mean everybody's different I mean you can't say just like for instance I'm a nurse and so I can't say like everybody with diabetes is going to do this right. or right. this is gonna you know and so yeah. um I'm sorry people that's people are ding-dongs okay oh i didn't say that sorry everybody it amuses me a little bit i i tend to be one of those people that finds uh humor in macabre and weird and strange situations so as people get more awkward digging their feet into the the situation (laughs) i tend to get more amused so i don't get offended okay good i'm actually kind of hard to offend because uh that might be one of my traits is that i just doesn't occur to me that somebody's trying to offend me Okay. So his yeah. is the opposite. He thinks everybody is trying to, um, yeah. which, which was tough because the poor guy. And then, like he did, he had subjects he was really, really good at, and then he had a hard time reading. And yeah. so that's why I think he was dyslexic as well. He started going to Easter sales, and it was amazing because they did occupational therapy with him, and they said he had this like cross brain thing, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, he was in the astronaut program for three years, and. I was taking him. I don't know how I did it. Not trying to give myself props because I'm not, (laughs) but I was, and I had an older kid too. So they're two years apart. I was taking him to three to five appointments a week on top of working six days a week. I don't know how it happened, but it did. And I was the only parent. And so, you know, everything works out and it really, really helped him. And it was a huge blessing because the poor thing though. So once he got through that, then he had to learn how to read cursive. And so he went back into that mode of crying every day for yeah. homework. He didn't understand yeah. it. And, and you just, as a parent, you feel so bad because you want to fix it. And that's something that I couldn't fix, but what helped him the first time that he was learning to read was that he was so upset. He still, he just told me, couple weeks ago he was upset that I held him back in first grade but he really didn't understand he understood some stuff but then other stuff he was like not comprehending and it takes him a little bit longer but he's so smart it just takes him a little bit longer to catch on so then in the second first grade class he like was helping the other kids and he knew more than they did and he goes well that's because you made me do it twice I said well it gave him confidence though like he really felt good about himself and he has a wonderful traits and then he has like some impulsive, but he also has some other diagnosis that goes along with that. So it's not just being on the spectrum, but 
he he is an amazing person. He is like super. He's super loyal. Like he loves you when and he loves you. I mean, so I, I don't. I never cared if he was you know being on the spectrum. That doesn't make him different than any of my other kids. I never treated him like you know. But I expected a lot out of him. But I understood that if he was trying his very best. I wasn't going to punish him for not getting it right the first time because as long as he tried to do it again, you know, that's all that it matters. So, but it was hard for him because my other kids, you know, would like kind of like, well, maybe not to your level, not at, not, not on your level, but my other two kids caught on to stuff very fast. So that was hard for him to be in the middle and be like, Oh, absolutely. My daughter would be get frustrated. Um, she, her, her kindergarten teacher said that, uh, to me that she'd never seen a child understand at her age, the application of doing something without having ever done it before. So they were doing, um, like a project, like coloring. So when I colored with her, when she was baby, I would color out of the lines. I would just color crazy and I would watch her. I didn't even show her color in the lines, but she knew that she was supposed to color in the lines. Wow. And if she couldn't color in the lines, she would freak out mm. she'd want to wear a pair of shoes but because she had sensory issues she would put on the shoes and then lose her cookies because she couldn't wear them and she wanted them so the things that we went through were quite interesting um, around all that but her knowledge and understanding like walking she tried to walk the first time as a baby and she fell over she did not walk again for four months and then she got up and walked so she's wow. always been ahead of knowing what was supposed to be and then losing it when she couldn't accomplish that. And so I didn't teach her how to ride a bike. I let somebody else do that. I wasn't going to take that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, I already learned that. No, no, <laughs> that only with it because she would always keep it together a little bit easier for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then she would free, which is normal. Kids feel safer with right. us. So they'll give us that. But anyway, all right. So that's so, that. okay. When you lived in different continents and countries, was it your parents' job or like, why did you guys? If you don't mind me asking, why'd you move so, so much? Yeah, my dad worked for uh, the biggest privately owned construction company in the world. And as a project manager, he took on different projects that they were doing. So uh, we would, yeah, uh, I was born in Houston, lived there three weeks, ended up in New Jersey. Wow. And right after that, like less than a year, we moved to Atlanta. Then after that, we were headed to Africa. So lived on three countries in Africa. Uh, went back to Argentina, lived in Argentina for a while. We'd hit the States and then roam out. And so, yeah, I pretty well lived on every continent. Uh, I went to 14 or 15 different schools by the time I had graduated high school. <clears throat> and last was a, in a boarding school in Pennsylvania because I was an international horse show jumper. So, yeah, it was, uh, wow. I, as a kid, of course, that's all I knew. I would come home, the whole house would be packed up. I don't know why my parents didn't think to prepare us. So I had a lot of losses, you know, I would show up and it would be like, everything was packed and gone and they'd given a pet away and they were leaving, and we're leaving tomorrow. So best friends, things like that, everything was transitory. So consequently right now, if somebody's out of my periphery for four days, like I'm not in touch with after four days, like they start to like fade away in my life. I just let, let go. So my daughter who's in college, she pretty well texts me or contacts me every day. And she loves to say, hey, it's me. I'm still a part of your life. Um, 
So uh, I doubt I'd forget her, but you know, who knows? <laughs> Hopefully you don't. <laughs> so um, just because I, I have a uh, ex-boyfriend that lived in, um, well, he's from Africa. What do I mean lived? But so what countries did you live in Africa? Zambia, Kenya, and Tanzania. Ah, so cool. So he's from Ghana, mm-hmm. which is west. Other um, side. Yeah, that's so cool. All right. Now, wow. So how challenging was, I mean, you said you got used to it. See, my dad was in the military, so I thought moving every three years sucked, but yours was even more intense. Now, if, and you didn't know you were on the spectrum, then you just knew that you were super bright. You were very intelligent and you didn't like to be, you know, those kind of things, but it didn't really have a name behind it, I guess, at that point. So how so yeah it had yeah, a name how did you do that teachers were like tanya doesn't uh put in enough effort tanya would rather talk to people than do her work uh tanya you know there was the developmentally delayed like we're worried about uh tanya's mental uh abilities maybe she's going to need a special program uh, my parents were like what is wrong with this kid uh, you know so stuff like that and nobody actually i think my parents might have known i was smart um they're very smart people. So I think they would have picked it up, but I was definitely weird. I mean, we can't say that anymore. Weird, but weird. I was weird. I was a weird kid that had like all sorts of weird issues. So, but the question was that you were asking me, sorry. No, no. Yeah. Just like, how did you adapt? Cause even if you didn't have any, well, as you say, if you were weird, even if you didn't and i don't think there's any normal but if you were a typical kid whatever um neurotypical how would you yeah neurotypical like how would i mean that's hard to move a lot so and every i mean gosh darn being on different continents too like schooling wise like that just shows that's so awesome like basically i'm just super impressed that you adapted and adjusted to not just like i'm moving from the north to the south let me tell you because no, no. i live in atlanta now and i lived yeah. in the north and that was a hard adjustment so no, it, was, it was like this so boom we're moving here i am new kid dropped into school not even the first it might even by the first day of school sometimes it was three weeks in sometimes a month in hey mm-hmm. guess we just went from uh inches to now we're in centimeters Hey, guess what? Half your day's in Spanish. The other half's in English. Oh well, here you're in a French school. Guess what? Sociology and history, completely different. You all learning the president here over the United States. I've learned 15 presidents, and I can remember which one went to which country at one point. And so the new kid, new styles. My mom was cool because she would look, she'd cruise the school and see what kids were wearing, and then try to make me something that Aww. fit in so I wasn't completely standing out. Yeah. Uh, once I was in high school, I was younger. I was two years younger than everybody. Uh, throw psoriasis on top of that. At one point, 10 years old, I came down with psoriasis. I thought it was leprosy. Oh, everybody geez. And it was bad. It would cover my arms. And I wore long sleeves for a little while. And then I was like, yeah, forget about that. Too much trouble. Kids would wipe off the desks after I sat in it, make bets to go touch me. Uh, oh, I, was competitive, I was a competitive swimmer. So mothers would freak out and ask if I should be allowed in the pool. Yes. There was a lot of going on of stuff going on, but wow. I will say this. Um, I 
formed a resilience because eventually I was just like, forget the long sleeves, people take it or leave it. And whether that was because I'm neurodivergent or whether that was because, um, you know, there's something more, there's resilience within me or the fact that I was reading books. Like I said, I wrote Red War and Peace before I was 10, whether I was realizing that life was bigger than what was happening. Right. But I knew that I wasn't getting understood by pretty well anybody. And so that had to form a, you either like rise and resilience or you die. And uh, there were, I cut the, all the skin off the back of my hands when I was 11 Mm. because some kids did some really horrible stuff. And I thought I wanted to kill myself, which it's actually a weird story because I made sure I disinfected the blade because I didn't want to get an infection. That always makes me laugh. I have dark humor. Like I'm going to kill myself. And then, you know, like, oh, let's disinfect all this. That, so that's how, how my brain can work. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think almost all kids go through their version of whatever's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, if you live in the same place with the same kids, it's hard in a different way. If you move all the time, that's hard. But I didn't know any different. Right. I would go to a town like my my parents, everyone else, we'd come to the States. And here I am in this tiny, small town in Port Angeles over here in Washington State because my aunt and uncle live there. And kids would say, well, who are you? And I'd say, I'm Tanya. And they'd say, where are you from? And I'm like, Africa. And they're like, liar. And so all the stories of my life were considered lies. Nobody would believe me because they couldn't think outside of their own experience. Right. So that was hard. And then if I would tell a lie about something, everybody believed it. So it was like <laughs> my TEDx talk I'm doing coming up here next uh, in two weeks is all on uh, practicing deliberate uh, acts of deliberate self-honesty because lying was the most tip- hard thing for me to get a concept of because I was told I shouldn't lie, but my parents lied about Santa Claus. And then I wow. saw everybody lying about things but, and saying lying's bad, you have to be trustworthy, you can't lie. But then when I told the truth, somebody said, you want to come to my birthday party? And I'd be like, heck no, nobody liked it. So then people told me, oh, you have to be polite. Sometimes polite is more important than lying. I was so confused about this whole right. rules of lying thing so that, that I actually created a TEDx on it. So there, <laughs> there you That's go. That's awesome. See, I was just talking about, like, I feel like our... Um our trauma and challenges and all that stuff really can sometimes unleash our like creative like you know like we find out other things about us so like those things happen to you and it's confusing and and now you're like okay well I'm gonna use it to help people that's amazing because like I feel like that's what we should do and it took me a long time because my a lot of my traumatic events happened a while ago and so I had to get myself together and figure out you know hey like I always cruised along but I was like I gotta get myself together now to how can I help people so I'm starting it's starting to come together but what wow like I just want to say there was also sexual trauma through that Oh my uh, gosh. Serious head injuries in my youth. I mean, like if I, I once I once read a I wrote a book about, you know, the traumas in my early mm-hmm. and like my clients couldn't read it because they, wow. they couldn't they couldn't cope with it. But the whole point was of the hope on the other side because yeah. what I found was most 
when I went to therapists or tried to get help, um, none of it worked well. So I actually developed my own protocols over the years for trauma healing that work 99% of the time on anybody and everybody, unless you're a sociopath, but that was the whole thing in itself. So, um, and I, I don't think personally, I don't think anybody needs to go to trauma to have a spectacular life. It's not like, it's no, not I'm like, not saying trauma, that. I'm just saying, yeah, it, yeah. yeah. it's not all you can horrible. You can yeah. get, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I don't think that people do. I hope nobody goes through trauma, but I'm exactly. just saying in the bad times, <laughs> it can, something good can come out of it eventually. Um, it sure. just depends on your mindset, to be honest. And time, yeah. it takes time to kind of. Sometimes luck. Sometimes in the right place at the right time. There's so many factors in that for sure. Yeah. Um, so how did you make your, well, I don't know if you, if you want to talk about, well, you said you'll talk about anything. How'd you make your first million? Cause you kind of just said it nonchalantly by 24 <laughs> years old. <laughs> threw that in there. Millionaire. Well, here's, uh. <laughs> yeah. Here's a great, yeah. Here's a great story. My first million. Here's a great story. So we, my dad's company paid for everything. So okay. we lived in hotels, first class We had bodyguards, chauffeurs, flew first class. Wow. So in my programming was right. Abundance. I didn't know my, my dad's company paid for all that. Uh, my assumption was my dad made that kind of money and everything was paid for. So we would live in a hotel and I'd ring a bell for room service or whatever, buy, get whatever I want. So there was this kind of uh, uh, my parents were self-made. They did not grow up that way. My dad became self-made. And so there was this, we, when we shopped at London at Harrods, my mom would go in and buy like 15 of the same shirts in different colors. So I didn't realize, cause they didn't tell me that they were shopping for two years or three years at a time. Mm. I just saw this abundance of abundance of abundance. So when I started to, uh, when it was clear, I couldn't work for somebody else because I would go in and rearrange you know, put me in your cashier store. I, by the time you came back, I'd rearranged everything to be more efficient and make more money. People don't like that. <laughs> so I realized I had to you know, be my own boss, but so it was just a mechanism of, I didn't understand that there were limitations on how you make money or whatever it is. So in the hair industry, I, I was going to be a neurosurgeon. I left that because I didn't want to work on animals went, took a year off, ended up going to hair school because I was tragic. I knew nothing about beauty and fashion, didn't care. So I decided to do something different. That's what I do. Went in there, came out of there and uh, went ahead and opened up a salon. Boom, let me open up a salon. And then I used to tell people, yeah, you just have to know somebody. I was like, you can't just make an appointment with, you actually know somebody to get in here. I had no idea that that just 400X my business. People thought I was exclusive. I was in this super cool salon I had designed. It was actually in a magazine at one point. And so wow. people like Nordstrom's, people were coming in all over the place. And I'm super efficient at everything I do. I find the shortest way to get it. So I could do these amazing haircuts in half an hour, rolling through clients, booked like left and right. People were booking eight months ahead of time, flying in, like I said, from all over. And uh, the next thing I know, I like just uh, my how my um friend was saying do you know how much money you just made last year and i'm like i don't know yeah i had no idea because my parents also didn't teach me how to manage money how to any anything about money it money just happens that's my mentality money happens <laughs> that's, a great, I wish. that's a great programming to have 
I get what I want and money happens. Think about yeah. how powerful that is. That's your subconscious belief. Yeah. And she explained to me, she asked me, how much money do you think the average person makes, Tanya? This was in uh, the late mid 80s. I said, I don't know, 250,000 a year. And she goes, you think the average person makes 250,000 a year? I'm mm-hmm. like, what, did I go too low? And she goes, uh, uh, try like 22,000. I'm like, how do you live on that? And she goes, well, I know you blow through that in less, you know, in a month, no problem. Like you don't even know how much money you spend. And I'm like, right. And she goes, do you know, if you took your money, I could take half your money and put it away in a 10%, you know, when we got 10% savings over here. And you would like literally be retired in a couple of years, few years, you just wouldn't have to work again. And I'm like, wow, that's super cool. Maybe I should think about that. Okay. I didn't, but you know, so there are, <laughs> there are maybe some you should, but <laughs> yeah, there's some flaws in how, so if you're asking for struggles, like I have, I make money, money just happens. And um, I can feel when something is a hero, like I get an idea and it's like, yep, there's a tingle in my spine. Do that. I've had equestrian centers. I've flown helicopters, underwater video companies. I range and I go after exactly what I want, jewelry design, interior design. But when I mastered it, I'm done and I move on. Okay. And they're done that. Let's go do something else. And uh, so that's pretty much, um, yeah, what my life has been like. And I've lost money. I went in on a startup with Paul Allen years and years ago before internet happened and lost a bunch of money. Uh, When the internet happened, I was like, whoa, dudes, we're going to make tons of money on this thing called the internet. My ex used that in a court document to say that I was fanciful and had no idea that you can't make money out of thin air. And uh, actually try to get my child away from me using that idea that Mm. I said, we're going to make a lot of money on the internet. I was the first woman uh, to make money online that wasn't in the sex industry. So uh, I'm also a tech, tech, build core, been doing this since 1992. Yeah. So. Holy moly. So the takeaway from all that isn't like, oh yeah, I'm so cool. The takeaway for me really is that how we're programmed, our subconscious beliefs, um, our our perceived limitations that we're told really are um, powerful. I wanted to be an actress. That was my big thing. And my dad said, with psoriasis, nobody will ever pick you. The only thing I haven't done in my life was go after that dream. So all these other things that I've been successful at, doing i was a rock star for a while i've been on stages all over the world and yet that one thing that it was really a burning passion for me that one statement from him though it didn't hold me back from dating having lots of relationships anything else that one statement was there and it 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 made a difference and yet i think i was in my 30s or almost 40s when there was an actress that talked about having psoriasis and they just used makeup or whatever and i was like what like <laughs> Yeah. I was so liberal with what he said. And then because I couldn't see it on any actresses, I just believed him. So that belief, my neurodivergent belief of literacy is in one way a superpower and another way incredibly damaging. So it just depends what messages, you know, I got when it comes to that neurodivergence. So my daughter, all the messages that I've given her is that she can solve any problem. She believes if there's a problem, she knows how to solve it. She is totally in that belief. And the other one, everybody loves her. She's surprised if somebody doesn't like her. 
I love that. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. And that's a good thing to teach your kids is that you are able to solve problems because I my daughter is nine and she like that's why I don't that's why winning at everything is really uh detrimental sometimes because Absolutely. you don't you don't know how to accept failure you have to make mistakes you have to fail to get it right and to learn that you know you got to work harder sometimes at things and that's okay that's good it gives you that like oomph like you know but um sometimes now the kids just want things handed to them or always being entertained and all this and I'm like that's not how it works honey so yeah, yeah but like sol solving problems is it's hard for some people and for me it's really funny because I have um I say I have undiagnosed ADHD I actually I actually know that I have it just because I've been around it a lot I just never did get diagnosed but anyway um and I'm very much freak out when it's some problems because I don't know where to start and it it makes me like it's very hard and so I have people that I love that are definitely not like that they're like type a so they're like da -da 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 -da. they're very organized so I actually ask for help just tell me where to start and then I got it right and then I can you know figure out everything but sometimes I see everything as in like a that they're seeing it as a b c d e f g i'm not so once i get where's a now i'm good like i'm okay now just tell me where a is but anyway so you okay you wrote all these books um and then how did you get into the speak because you do everything how did you start getting into speaking and then becoming a coach teaching speakers well yeah, so I've been speaking forever. I've been on lots of stages between singing and speaking and teaching workshops and doing that. But I turned my attention towards um, speaking, speaker coaching, and because of the whole TEDx thing. One well, of my bucket list is TEDx. And I blew at TEDx. I was actually called up by TEDx Rainier probably about seven years ago, eight years ago now. And without applying, they wanted me. And when they asked me what idea I wanted to talk about, I had too much. Like, I didn't understand what an idea is. Mm -hmm. I just had like a whole bunch of messages that I wanted to do. And so even though they worked with me the week of that they were selecting, they ultimately couldn't, though they loved me, they wanted me on the stage. They couldn't pick me because they couldn't put me in a bucket because I couldn't land the plane on an idea. So uh, 2021, I saw an ad for this company called Thought Leader, and they were talking about the TEDx. And I'm like, you know what? all right, clearly I need some help figuring this out. So I joined them, um, started doing my, doing the process, starting setting out apps. And in the meantime, they realized they probably needed speaker coaches. And because I have such a, you know, I have a 41, 40 years and 85,000, that's a conservative estimate of people that I've coached. Um, they were like, okay, you look like you'd be somebody that's pretty good at this. And I'm a strategist, right? So my whole thing is strategizing. Yeah. If I know the outcome, I know how to get people there. So I took their certification program while I was sending out TEDx applications and being their client. Landed eight talks. There's a whole long story about this will be my first stage that I'm on. Let's just say on the way to the TEDx stage, I'm writing the book. And uh, started coaching people. So I've been coaching, I've coached hundreds and hundreds. I've actually ghostwritten TEDx talks as well. And um, this is like, in addition to my life strategy work that I do over here, 
I also contract with Thought Leader to uh, help their uh, their speakers uh, from their company. And so that's been super exciting. I really enjoyed it because my other work is, um, you know, helping people over trauma or parenting or whatever, a business CEOs. My day is interesting. In the morning, parenting problem. Next client, CEO looking to his multi-billion. Next client, sex problems. Next client, blah, blah. So my, but the speaker thing is very concise. Mm -hmm. There's a formula we follow, get them in that and teach them how to deliver. And so it's the easiest thing I do in terms of I'm not solving a lot of problems. I'm just getting them into this particular box, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's been exciting. And then Thought Leader decided they're going to start their own kind of version of uh, TEDx talks. They're doing Thought Leader talks. And I was asked to be an event for, for the Pacific Northwest, be an event coordinator. So I'm about to put on nice. our first big event next on the 8th. And then I'm headed to Georgia for my... TEDx on the 14th. So a lot of things rolling out right now. It's in Georgia. That's where I am. That's yeah. so cool. Um, yeah, I want to get into uh, I want to get started. I've spent thousands of dollars and couldn't even go to the thing, but that's another thing. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of people that I have like gone under and trying to learn or took like a week course thing with them. And they basically everybody's like you got a niche niche down niche down because that's my problem i want to help everybody oh you know and they're like you got a niche and have a specific thing yeah. so i've gotten i have like i auditioned for the show actually um i auditioned here in georgia and then on um oh shoot and then they did like a virtual one but they did a lot they just had the winner they found out in oh, Grant, Miami. Grant, Grant, Grant Cardone's yep. thing. Yeah, I was there. I you, was there in Dallas. Which one? Oh, I was, I was in the. uh yay! I was in Georgia, and then I was in, um, in the virtual one, and then I didn't. I got it to. So this is how I took it. So the first time was out of five hundred people, I think, at the purse at the physical one in Atlanta, and then I didn't make it to the second you know like the two minute one and then I was I moved a lot of people I talked to a lot of people and I have really bad like I used to get so I can't do well I can now but I hate talking in front of people public speaking was scary to me so number one fear most people have yeah so um as I like went through it and and did my one minute people were like almost tearing up and I was like oh wow I really you know, can touch people with this message and help them. So anyway, I learned from that. And then the virtual one was like a few weeks later. And then out of thousand something people, I made it to the two minute one. And so even improving that much and getting more comfortable and confident, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I got this. So that helped me because it wasn't the message. It's me. It's how I was so nervous. It was how I was shaky. It was how I, you could feel it in my, you know, so, but I also did stand up comedy and I'm getting back into it. So that kind of helps bombed. too. I bombed that. So my oh, first my comedy debut, I, I tanked that so hard. It was like, I'm funny. People laugh all the time when I'm teaching yep. and stuff. And I got on that stage and bomb that sucker giggles in in seattle man that was that you was should try again since you're a good writer 
Um, but you have so much going on. But whenever you have time, just go to an open mic for fun. And, you know, it's not like scouts are there or anything, but just go try at an open mic and like write some material. And it's it's fun, but it's yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It's hard because I need it's- to get back. I need to get back in that saddle because I, I want because to my mom, it sounds it's like I, I typically at least have to be OK. I don't have to master everything I do. Yeah but I don't leave things on a bomb. And so yeah. that, thank you for that call out. I actually yeah. just wrote it down. So yeah. I, I'll do that. And know just, about the, go ahead. I was going to say, with the Grant Cardone thing, know that they weren't looking for the best speakers. That's a TV show. They're looking for people that they can groom to be uh-huh. uh, the best who have a story behind the scenes. So I never, those kind of things never should never let you represent like whether you did, I mean, I knew that going in. I just wanted some, I hadn't been on stage for a while, so I needed some, some reps. Yeah. Well, so I, I, it was just good for me because it was like new to me. So, and it was, uh, it was petrifying, (laughs) but anyway, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, so, all right. I'm going to ask you about probably one more thing. Okay. What, you don't have to tell us all seven, but the seven, (laughs) tantras of integrated intelligence i'm kind of interested on what's the what is just the premise of it of course you don't have to break down the whole thing yeah the seven tantras of integrated intelligence so first of all in the west people think tantra is all sex Mm. and that's actually neo tantra or the sexual arts of tantra of neo tantra teach people how to connect to themselves and divinity and have better sex lives Now, Tantra itself is an ancient energetic uh, mastery philosophy. Tantra masters were the explorers of the universe. If it was, if you could see it in nature, you could duplicate it in yourself, like frogs that hibernate for seven years or crystallize their blood so they don't freeze. Tantra masters believe that we are capable of that as well. So they explored energy and the mastery of substance and ethers and air. So I have a lineage in the one and I have expertise in the other. So the seven tantras, meaning tantra means path. So the seven paths to integrated living Mm. literally mean the paths we need to take to live as a full human, integrated meaning in integrity, in totality, in the wholeness of our body. And that means our mind, our heart, our sex organs, everything we're at full use of them, our body wisdom, as we connect into the world. So that's kind of the simplest Reader's Digest version of that. It's a personal development program with that spirituality bent. I also have High Speed Evolution, which is the same type of program, but for people who not using like chakras or body, you know, people that need a more palatable mainstream language, I have the same type of program, High Speed Evolution. And then modern Tantra is more um, being able to use the spiritual words, say Tantra, do things like that. And I work with people from all backgrounds, all religions, all belief systems. And so I tailor like where, where do they fit in that works well for their belief systems. Oh, that's really cool. All right. Well, so uh, I'm going to ask selfishly, (laughs) just joking. What advice? I'd like to say that because when it, it, Hey, just to let you know, uh, Tanya, last time I said 
selfishly this many times. I hired the person as a coach. Just letting you know that. <laughs> Seriously. She's my coach now. Because I had an episode where I kept saying, well, I'm asking you this as selfish reasons. So, okay. Um, what advice would you give for someone that does want to get into speaking on stages and really helping people? Because that's what it's about. We can tell our, you know, our business all we want, but it's really about spreading a message of hope and whatever, and really helping people. So what advice would you give them if they've never done it? They just want to start. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, um, people have that, you know, that message of hope and the reality is to be a great speaker. It's not a message of hope. It's a single pointed idea. And so since you heard me bomb the first I had, um, so there's two components to this. There's the first component, which how do I become a speaker? Um, If you understand what a speaker is, it's somebody who can concisely deliver in a specific amount of time. Like if you give me a minute, I can deliver. You give me five, I can deliver. You give me an hour, I can deliver. So it's the ability to contract and expand a single focused idea. We can all be like, rah, 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 but people don't remember motivation. If you don't have a great call to action, it's hard for Mm -hmm. them to share it or spread it. So you can go speak all you want. Will it grow your audience is the different question. So if you want to become a speaker, go and find places to speak, get up on stages, talk, do it for free. If you want to become an influencer with your speaking, that's different. Yeah, you got a target. You have to have a target market because it informs your language. You have to learn the art of speaking, which includes delivery and bringing an audience um, connected to emotionally in and up and a down, landing on a single focused point of view. And so, you know, like that's a big question. How do we, what's the best advice to become a speaker? Well, if you're scared of speaking, Toastmasters, get out there, start asking to speak about things in different places. When your next step to up your craft, of course, we all know that the best way to get anywhere is hire a good coach, absolutely, or be involved in a good program that helps you get there learning to to condense your message and pivot your message if a women's group calls me out i can pivot a message to them if a men's group calls me i can pivot a message to them corporate i can pivot a message to them that's expertise it takes a while so first conquer the fear right second step is start to learn like what are you speaking about like start to tailor a message become known for something so people know what box to put you in And it's important you're in a box. I am not in a box. That has not helped me. I would never let a client do what I do mostly. I just have to be very fortunate. But every client I coach, I get them their audience. I figure out what it is they're specifically talking about. So an organizer can look at them or a booker can look at them and go, yeah, you fit right there. Because they don't know where you fit. They're passing. They're going to somebody who can. So speaking chops, message chops. And then it's a matter of practice, 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 and refine. And that's really the secret sauce. But uh, going to open mics, you get great. Go karaoke, open mics, put yourself in that. I just go talk. I go stand in the airport and talk about things. They walk by, go, whoa, what's happening there? I don't care. So you get over that worry. You're judge. Everybody judges you all the time. Just oh, get yeah. over it. Yeah, I mean, just get over it. It's like if you get over judge- judgment, you're just bulletproof. And that's probably my, my other secret sauce. Yeah. That's the thing with me is that I had to just do it. Like, even though I was, but I'm, I'm really glad that I have the podcast. If I wouldn't have had the podcast first, I probably would have passed out or thrown up, which is one of my jokes. <laughs> uh, and that's real. 
<laughs> and yeah, yeah, one one of my jokes is um that <laughs> that I have uh like a it depends on what I say first, but then it kind of like ties in. So like say for instance, I'm like, you know, um now that I'm 40, I finally got up the nerve to get diagnosed with anxiety and ADHD by Dr. TikTok. And I'm grateful because everything makes me anxious. Like right now, I feel like I'm going to throw up, shit myself and pass out. So that's <laughs> like one of my jokes, but that's true. And then people, yeah, people do say woohoo. And then I'll be like, thank goodness it hasn't happened, but I still have two more minutes or whatever. And then someone <laughs> else will be like, see what happens. And so it makes it fun. They, they, they probably want me to do one of those things just because it's more entertaining. I'm just joking. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's helped. But honestly, I literally had to drink. I took comedy classes and she's a, she's amazing. Uh, the teacher it's in uh, Atlanta, but um, laugh lab. She was on America's got talent lace Larrabee. And um, she's amazing. She's been doing it for probably like 11 some years now. Anyway, so I was so nervous. I would have to drink before I went up and I never drank. So it was changing my personality. And I was like, well, this ain't right. And then I would go two or three times. And then I got to the point where I had to talk to myself and be like, come on, you get over it. Like you said, you can do this. And then I would go up without drinking because I started getting really dizzy and having health issues. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. Um, you can't let a hobby turn you into <laughs> an alcoholic yeah Yeah, that's probably not that's probably not that's not a great strategy for success no it's not so anyway so then now I can you know I've gotten better and better where I can just go to I always could talk to one person I've been a talker my whole life but it's a whole bunch of people but I can go up to people now and be like hey have you heard of my pot you know hey I'm a life coach blah 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 and I feel comfortable because I'm confident and that's another advice too is that when you are confident in yourself and what you are saying or what you are pitching or what you are promoting, then it makes it a lot easier because you you know that just like you, just like all the things that you said, you didn't say, well, well, I kind of this and I'm kind of, this. no, I'm an expert at this. I'm this, that, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> everything, 500 things. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. So um, so I'll definitely will be reaching out to you anyway. So where can we find you? What is your website or, you know, yeah, if anybody if wants can, to hire you, what, where can we find you? Absolutely. If you can spell Tanya, T-A-N-J-A, Tanya, T-A-N-J-A and last name Diamond. I'm on 30 pages of Google. You can't, you can't oh, wow. miss me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can spell Tanya Diamond uh, with the J, you will find me in various things. I, there was a, uh, at one point, I had 190 websites. Um, oh, uh, things got broken up a few uh, a few years ago by a boyfriend of mine. But I'm rebuilding everything, so you can't you can't miss me. If you've got my name, you can't miss me. Find me on Facebook is my main gig. I know that makes me a little bit of a dinosaur, but um, I'm working on the Instagram and starting to do those things now. So yeah, and I think that uh, what I what I'd like to to really say to everybody too, other than the piece of advice on the speaker is that uh, no matter what you believe about your time here, uh, it may it may be a dress rehearsal. Maybe you believe there's an afterlife in different ways. There's heaven, there's things like that. But I will say that living life like you don't have anything else right now 
moves you away from that uh, concern about what do people think? What do people feel? Um, because they're too busy worrying about themselves, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and that thing I said about judgment proof is like people judge me a lot. I've always been judged all my life about something, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter. And I think one of the things that I wish for everybody is that really you did what you wanted, even while you're getting judged and that failing isn't, uh, it isn't the opposite of success. It's the road to success because I've failed so many times on the road to success. I just not scared of failing. So I'm not scared of judgment. I'm not scared of failing. And it has pretty well made me live the an extraordinary life that we haven't even touched most of, you know, in our episode, because we can't. So, uh, and I think anybody can do that. I think you just have to go out and be amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for being so resilient and strong and like, wow, you, <laughs> it's so awesome that and that it's probably like you said it's a blessing of you being on the spectrum because it's like the darts are getting thrown at you but they're just bouncing off like whatever because that stuff doesn't bother you so that's good because most people and my like just even being me um that stuff would probably hurt me or and maybe make me take a step back or think about stuff or hurt my feelings for a little bit. And then I would go, cause I bounce back from stuff too, but you know, it, that's great that you're helping people oh. and that you're. And I get hurt all the time. I have very sensitive feelings. So it's not about oh. not being hurt. It's about the fact that um, I, what I learned was I can live in that or I can go do my awesomeness. I yeah. choose. Awesomeness. Yeah. Good. Always to, I agree with that always choose awesomeness. You're right. That is awesome. So (laughs) I didn't mean to say that. No pun intended. Uh, That is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, thank you, Tanya. You're awesome. So uh, definitely I will uh, talk to you again and everybody, she's going to be on the other podcast that I'm starting. I'm so excited. And we'll, we will definitely dive into some other things and um, get kind of deeper down and Thank you so much. I will definitely be reaching out to you and scheduling a uh, appointment too, because I, I need to get the ball rolling. I can't just like say, I want to do this and then just, just kind of stay here. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you say it on a podcast to a whole bunch of people, then it becomes <laughs> kind of like, they're like, yo, did you ever do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I have accountability. Good, there. Good, like... job. good job calling it out. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I gotta thank get you it. for having thank you for having me on too. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing your story. And I really appreciate you. And I will talk to you soon. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Wow. Tanya Diamond, she does a lot. That's so awesome. And for her to be that resilient, like and all the things that are thrown at her, and she just said she chooses awesomeness I love that that's so great and positive and what a good mindset especially for a coach you don't want a coach to be like everything's horrible and blah 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 no that's not good (laughs) so thank you for listening and check her out I definitely am going to because that's something that I've been um trying to get into with speaking and trying to find speaking gigs though is hard because I got a talk down a little bit of what I want to talk about and have it narrowed down. But I 
I just don't know how to find the gigs. That's the thing. But thank you so much, everybody. You are awesome. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic day. Um, email me at authentic points of view at gmail.com if you want to just reach out to me or if you want to be on the show or if you want a specific topic talked about okay email me um follow me on instagram authentic points of view podcast danielle boer 82 or authentic points of view coaching um facebook authentic points of view podcast and danielle boer um and then last like tiktok and things i don't really get on there uh youtube is authentic points of view podcast uh lots of the episodes well i can't say a lot some of the episodes are on youtube i am so behind i'm honest about that stuff but please check it out i'm so excited I love you guys. I really appreciate you. And I wouldn't be able to do this without you. So thank you for being so loyal and listening to me every week. Uh, have a fantastic day. Bye. Thanks for listening to Authentic Points of View podcast. I hope that something you heard today changes your point of view. If you would like to share your views, please email me at authenticpointsofview at gmail.com. Or leave a comment on Facebook at Authentic Points of View Podcast. Remember, always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart. listening to authentic points of view podcast i hope that something you heard today changes your point of view if you would like to share your views please email me at authentic points of view at gmail.com or leave a comment on facebook at authentic points of view podcast remember always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart